Father God in heaven, you are a faithful God. You take us through life. You take us through the good times. You take us through the storms. You hold our hand in the valley. You rejoice with us on the mountaintops. Lord, you are faithful in every situation we face. Nothing can separate us from your love. We are more than conquerors. Thank you, Lord. Father, we celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your grace. And Father, we thank you for the cross where we find complete forgiveness of all of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, I pray now as we get into your word that uh, you will anoint me with your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, it won't be my words, but it'll be your words speaking through your inspired word to your people. And, Lord, that ministry will take place, that our hearts will be impacted, our, our minds will be impacted, and the way we live our life will be propelled forward in our walk with you. So, Lord, thank you for this time. Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And turning your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 22. Now, if you've been with us, which most everybody has, but in case our visitors, um, on, the new, on Sunday mornings we go through the New Testament. On Wednesday nights we go through the Old Testament. And we're, we're making our way through Hebrews chapter 11, which is the uh, chapter of faith. The great heroes that us people living under the new covenant can, can learn from. And uh, I'm gonna have them, we're turning in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, but up on the screen, you'll see our verse that we're queuing off of from Hebrews chapter 11. And that's Hebrews 11, verse 17, where the scripture says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. And this New Testament verse comes from Genesis chapter 22. Last week, uh, we looked at uh, Abraham's calling in Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 11 gives two mentions to Abraham. So I said, I'm going to give two messages on Abraham. One was his calling last week. This week, um, we're looking at the uh, him being told to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. And the title of my message this morning is this, the Lord will provide. That's, 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 that's what everything's gonna center around, center around this morning, is that the Lord will provide. And what I wanna do is instead of starting at verse one, I wanna go to the heartbeat of Genesis chapter 22. Please take a look at verse 14. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 22. This is the heart and the cornerstone of this entire chapter. It says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And he said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And this is the verse that we get that, that name of God that probably many of you heard, which is Jehovah Jireh. That phrase where it says in verse 14, the Lord will provide. The Lord is Jehovah, will provide, is Jireh. And I just want to talk about that, that wording for a minute that's, this, that, that God has called there. The, the, the phrase, the, the Lord is Jehovah. In other words, he is the self-existing one. He is the great I am. Literally means I am who I am. That's what Jehovah means. And then it says will provide. That's where we get the phrase Jireh. And basically, that word Jireh, it means Jehovah will see to it and he will provide. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to be intimately involved in every part of your life. He wants to, he wants to be your provider. He wants to be uh, Jehovah Jireh, the one that takes care of you. And you can trust him. For every area of your life, not only for salvation, but for everything 
that pertains to life and godliness. We'll give you a couple of New Testament verses on this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So basically that verse says, number one, seek him. Seek him with all your heart. Let him be the joy of your salvation. Trust him with all your heart. Seek him in everything. Don't seek all the stuff, but when you seek him, everything else pertaining to life and godliness will be provided to you. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We quote that verse a lot, but the very end of it contains the meat. It says, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We receive from the Lord everything we need for life and godliness when we are in Christ Jesus. You know, if you don't have him, you have nothing, okay? If you don't have Christ, you don't have nothing. But if you have him, you have everything. And he will be your Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you in every area of your life. He can be trusted for, for your job, for your home, for your family, and for everything in your life. He's, he's an amazing God. And so Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 17, sends you and I this morning to where you opened your Bibles to which is Genesis chapter 22. And what I want to do is I want to frame this out for you. And if you're a note taker, this is probably going to be the best note taking um, sermon I've ever given, I hope, because I have a lot to give you. I have a lot to give you, but I want to frame it out in your mind so you can see the big picture. In Genesis chapter 22, the message is the Lord will provide. And in verses one and two, we're going to see the test, the test. In verses 3 through 10, we will see the trust. In verses 11 through 18, we will see the triumph. So we see this progression in the life of Abraham here in Genesis 18, or Genesis um, 22, where he's offering up his son. So you already look at, those are three T's, by the way, the three T's. The test, the trust, and the triumph. Let's look at the test, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2 says... Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, the thought for the typical human being for another person to come up to them and say, I'm going to test you, or you've got to be tested, or you've got to prove yourself, is offensive to most, people mind, most people's mind. If somebody just came to you and says, you need to be tested, you need to prove yourself, we, most of us would find that offensive. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God reserves the right to test whoever he pleases and whenever he pleases. Why? Because he is God. He is God. And he can test and sift us out. And ultimately, because God knows everything, the testing is, is, not, is for whose benefit? It's not for God's, because he already knows everything. It's for your benefit. It's for my benefit that the Lord tests us. So I want to give you three Ps. I, I want to give you three Ps on under the uh, sub line of being tested. Three Ps concerning this testing. Number one, this was a purposeful test. This was a purposeful test. It was not for God. Uh, he knows everything. He knows, he knows, he knew Abraham inside and out. He knew his heart, he knew his mind, he knows your heart, he knows his mind. The purpose of this test uh, was for Abraham so that he can know exactly where he stands. You see, the testing of your faith determines the quality and the reality of your trust. Adrian Rogers said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So we need to ask the Lord, Lord, test us. 
Test us and make sure that, that our faith is real and that our trust is real. So there's a purpose. There's a purpose in the testing. Secondly, testing can be painful. Testing can be painful. Look at verse 2. He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Notice what God did not ask for. God did not ask for his tunic. He did not ask for his livestock. He did not ask for the money out of his wallet. What did he ask for? Your son. Your son. Isaac was Abraham's most treasured possession. This was the son of promise. And God is saying, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son. Can you imagine the pain for God to come to me and say, I want you to sacrifice your son or sacrifice your daughter? That would cut deep and that would be very, very painful you know, to, to think about, to give up something that was so precious to me. You know, in our allegiance in life, our allegiance should be to number one, to the Lord in all things. We should place nothing above God, not your wife, not your children, not your family, not your church, nothing. God commands our allegiance. He commands our allegiance be for him. He gave you everything when he sent his son into this world. He gave you, God gave you his very, very best. His only begotten son from heaven he gave to you so that you and I could be forgiven. And now he asks of us to give our lives back to him and place him first. Thirdly, uh, looking at the, the test, this was a perplexing test from a human perspective. You know, to think, is God asking to make a human sacrifice? Is, is God asking him to kill someone else, to murder? A light general reading across the scripture that might come to your mind. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood by, his, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Pastor David, how do you help me out? Help me understand this, this passage, Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham's being, uh, Abraham's being told by the Lord to offer and give up his only son on Mount Moriah. How do I put this into a framework that I can understand it, biblically speaking, because we know that murder is wrong. We know that killing is wrong. And here's what I present to you this morning. This account of, of Abraham taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah is, 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 a, um, is a dress rehearsal for Calvary. It's a dress rehearsal for what would take place 2,000 years later. And we're gonna show, I'm going to show you two verses as we go through this text that, that indicate that Abraham believed that he would not be sacrificing his son. So as we go through this passage... As we go through these verses, I want you to keep the cross in mind. I want you to keep Calvary in mind. I want you to think about Jesus as we go through this passage. I'm actually uh, giving two messages this morning. The first message is from Abraham's angle and what we learned about Abraham and the Lord will provide. And then after I get done with that message, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the gospel in this passage. So, so keep in mind. But, but here's one thing you need to understand, though. Testing is good. Testing is good. We, we need to pray and ask of the Lord, Lord, test my heart. Test my faith. Make sure I am tried and true. I would rather be tested now in this life and understand that, oh, my faith's not right than step into eternity and my faith not be biblical, not be right, not be true. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24, he says, the psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way and lead me in the way that's everlasting. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you find yourself going through a test, if you feel like the Lord is testing you and making sure your faith is biblical, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we need to embrace. 
And whatever the Lord shows us, whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to us that needs to be corrected, correct it and do what's right. If it's repentance, repent. If it's growing in sanctification, let it be growing in sanctification. Wherever he shows you that's not up to par, that's not up to the standard of his word, get it right. And then say, then say, thank you, Lord, for helping me get this right. So that's verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 is the, tru- is, is the, um, the test. Let's look at the trust. Verses 3 through 10. It says, verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. If you're taking notes for trust, write this down. Trust is immediate. Trust is immediate. In verse 3, there are six, count them, six action verbs in verse 3. It says in verse 3, Abraham rose, Abraham saddled, Abraham took two of his young men, he split the wood, he arose, he went to the uh, place which God had told him. Abraham responded with action. He moved with a sense of purpose. And my friend, when God speaks to your heart, when God quickens your soul, and you see the big picture of what Christ is telling us, when you see the the picture of salvation, or when you see the picture of God leading you in your life, you need to act. You need to move. Don't wait. Don't give yourself a delay. Don't say, well, Lord, I need a confirmation. You know, confirmations can be good, but move forward. Move forward. And, and, you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And when God tells us we need to move just like Abraham did, Abraham wasted no time. You, when you read verse 3, you sense this, uh, there's a sense of urgency in, in Abraham. So his trust was immediate. Let's look at the next aspect of trust. It's in verse 4. Verse 4 says, On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. You know, um, it was on the third day, so, so Abraham had to travel for three days, and he had to, he, it says he raised his eyes. I wonder what that's all about. Maybe he was so tired and he was so worn out on, on this long trek on this long journey that finally it says there in verse 4 that he looked up and he saw the place from a distance. My friend, if you're taking notes, trust goes all the way. Trust goes all the way. Trust, it starts, it endures, and it finishes. That's what faith is. That's what trusting in the Lord is. A relationship with God does not begin the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Excuse me. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. It it begins there, and it continues on through life. It starts, it endures to the end, and it finishes. It's not always perfect. Uh, There are challenges. There are difficulties we face. There are experiences that we go through, but ultimately, Trust goes all the way to the end. And that's what God is calling you to do. God is calling you to endure, to stay faithful, to stay the course, to continue to serve him all the days of your life. Our our goal, our mission, and our family is to serve the Lord, to impact Emily and Daniel to serve the Lord, and to one day to be sitting in a rocking chair on the front porch at 90 years old with our great-great-grandchildren sitting on our lap and telling them about Jesus and going all the way to the end. It endures, and it goes all the way to where God has called you to go as it did here with Abraham in verse 4. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Here is the first verse that indicates that Abraham had an unshakable faith that he would not be sacrificing his son physically. Look at it. At the very end of verse 5 in the NASB, 
it says, he doesn't say, we will go and I will return. It says, we, talking about him and his son, Isaac, will worship and return to you. So there's the first indicator that God was, Abraham didn't see the big picture, but he was trusting in the Lord and he was moving forward. And if you're taking note, the thing I want to point out to you from verse five is this, trust is worshipful. Trust is worshipful. This is the heart of the Christian journey. Worship is, is not necessarily what we do on Sunday mornings, which this is worship, but worship in the, in the grand scheme of things, worship is the way you live your life. You know, you are worshiping God uh, throughout the week by the way you live your life, by the words you use, by the way you live. And, you know, worship, that worship comes from an old English word, means worth-ship. It's when we live our lives and we show the world how worthy Jesus Christ is and how awesome and how amazing he is. But trust is worshipful. As you live this life trusting in Christ, you're worshiping God. You're worshiping God. You're bringing honor and glory to him in this world as you call yourself a Christian, as you live for Christ Jesus and you put your trust in him. So worship continues throughout the week and throughout all time for Christians. Let's look at the next one, verses six through eight. It says, um, Abraham took the... Uh, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. The lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. My friend, in this text, Abraham reassures Isaac that phrase that has become popular today. And that phrase is, God's got this. God has, has got this. My, he, Abraham is saying to his son, God will provide. The Lord can be trusted in this journey of what we're going through. And the thing that stands out to me the most in verse 8 is where Abraham says, God will provide for who? What does it say in verse 8? God will provide for himself. God, it doesn't say God will provide for Abraham. It doesn't say God will provide for Isaac. It says God will provide for himself because it is for God's honor. It is for God's glory and it is for his fame. And if you're taking notes on this passage, the element of trust, there is an unshakable confidence. There's an unshakable confidence in the attributes of God. It's, it's, it's this I see what's going on, I understand what's going on, but God is in complete control. And my heart and my mind and my faith will not be shaken. That's what trust is. It's when no matter what we face, we're not shaken at the situation, but we have complete confidence in the promises of the Lord. Verse nine, Still looking at trust. Says, and then they came to the place which God told him, and Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Um, if, if you're taking notes on, on in the, the trust that we see in verse 9, is this trust is obedience. In other words, Abraham did exactly what God told him to. There's four action phrases in verse nine that it was more than just, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust. Yes, Lord, you're gonna take care of this. But Abraham followed it with obedience. The four things in verse nine is Abraham 
built the altar, he arranged the wood, he bound his son, and he laid him on the altar. God, Abraham was, was responding to God, and he was faithful to the end and to obeying exactly what the Lord was telling him to do. You know, trust, faith, and obedience can't be separated. Doesn't mean you're perfect. We all blow it. But in the element of faith in God, the element of trust in the Lord, there's, there's this idea, there's this principle that you're leaving the old life behind. And you're saying, Lord, not only do I believe with all my heart, but I'm believing in you the way I live my life in obedience. That is the truest test of faith. That is the truest test of trust is that we obey the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will obey me. You will obey me. When we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saying, Jesus, you are Lord over my life. You, you, you have all dominion over me. And though I'm not perfect and I blow it along the ways, I do my very best to live in obedience to you, to grow in sanctification, to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, and to grow into being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to trust. That's what it means to live for him. And then finally, verses 11 through 18, is the triumph. I'm, so, I'm sorry, excuse me, verse, starting with verse, um, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The triumph in the passage is not that Isaac was spared. The triumph in the passage is that Abraham was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. The triumph is when, is, is when we do what the Lord tells us to do. That is the triumph of faith. That is the triumph of trust. God tells us in his word to trust him. When we say, yes, Lord, I will trust you, that is a triumph in God's eyes. When the Lord says, live holy, and we respond with living holy and dedicated lives to him, that is triumph. When the Lord says, be a witness and share the gospel with the world, and with shaking knees and nervousness and and all that entails when it comes to witnessing, we go out and we share the gospel with people, that is a triumph. That is a triumph. That only the Lord knows the outcome. The Lord knows the victory. 19, I got saved in 1992. Remember I got off the ship? I was heading down to Virginia Beach, going down to the boulevard, going to places I, had, I should not be going, but that's what you, that's, those are the places you go when you're lost. And I remember this I don't know, maybe 17, 18-year-old kid. He was out there. His knees were knocking. His forehead was all sweaty. I could tell he was all nervous. But he reached out and he handed me a gospel track. And I said, thank you very much. And I stuck it in my back pocket. And I kept on going about my way. Never saw him again. Only if he knew that because of his courage and him giving me that gospel track that day, that today I'm a pastor. It was because of faithful Christians like that who triumphed in their faith that shared the gospel that it's one of the many reasons him giving me a gospel track my grandmother praying for me people witnessing to me but that was that was all part of the triumph in bringing uh, me to Christ was them being a witness and the triumph is now I'm saved trusting in the Lord been a Christian for 26 something years whatever and now today I'm a pastor and I thank the Lord for that young man and his faithfulness and his commitment. You know, that's all it takes is for us to sow seeds, you know, to share the gospel with people. Don't look at the, um, their response. You know, don't, don't look at their response. Don't measure ministry by people's response. God will be faithful to himself and to his word to uh, bring people to salvation. All you and I have to do is be faithful to be a witness. 
All you and I have to do is be faithful to live holy lives. All you and I have to do is be faithful to trust him. And he will see, he'll, he will see the triumph because ultimately it's his triumph. Verse 13 says, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, and here's the verse that we talked about in the opening, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God is Jehovah Jireh. God is the one who will do it and see to it and provide for his people. For ancient Israel, for Abraham, for the church today, and yes, my friend, even for you and your family. As you do what the gospel says in um, Philippians 4.19 and Matthew 6.33, where you seek him with all your heart, you place him first. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. Doesn't, I don't, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking prosperity theology now. I'm not, talking, I'm not saying God's going to give you a Lamborghini and a, and, and a rich house. And, and I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm opposed to the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel is not biblical. Because the Bible warns us specifically not to pursue riches. But at the same time, so I, 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 the prosperity gospel is unbiblical. But there's also this thing called, um, called uh, poor man's theology. And poor man's theology says God's not concerned about you. You just believe in him, trust in him, and he's not worried about all the details of your life. And that's not biblical either. God is concerned with every details of our life. As we delight ourselves in him, as we trust in him, we can trust in the Lord to provide and take care of us. That is what the Bible teaches, that the Lord will be our provider. He will provide for you. He will provide for me. That's why we pray. That's why we seek the Lord. That's why we take prayer requests in 2020 because we believe today that God will provide. God will take care of his people. And when there's a need, we lift it up to the Lord and we trust in him and we let him take care of the outcome. We let him take care of the results and we don't try to manipulate anything. We just sit back and by faith, we watch the Lord work in the life of his people and in the church. He is Jehovah Jireh. He provided a ram that was in the thicket here, and God will provide for you and me. He will take care of us. Again, that care, that provision for us is for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? You know, Christians fixing to finish up CIU. You got a lot of big decisions coming up. The, the whole world, you know, the whole, your whole life's ahead of you. You got a lot of big decisions. My friend, as you graduate from CIU this year and you move on to where God has called you, you can trust him for that future. <laughs> Maybe you have a, an, an ailing relative or someone who's going through the throes of life. You know, we can trust God in all situations to take care of our loved ones, to take care of our life. We can trust him in everything. It's not just some things. We can trust him for all things. Amen? Verse 15 says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham responded rightly. Abraham responded rightly to the Lord's calling. God honors Abraham's faith, trust, and obedience. And again, the principle here of triumph is this. Trust and obedience is the triumph of testing. Bringing God honor and glory in our lives is the triumph of the test. It's, it's, it's putting God on display in our lives for the world to see of what he is doing. It's when you're in that really bad situation that may cause some people to fall away and you say, you know what? Through this trial, through this difficult situation, I'm gonna trust in the Lord. 
and I'm going to stay the course. And when people see you going through that storm that would otherwise cause people to fall away, that brings honor and glory to God, that you stay the course and that you triumph in, in the situation that you're in. Verse 17 and 18 says, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand in which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This passage right here that we just read, this is a constant theme throughout the Old Testament. And this is God establishing his covenant with Abraham that we call it the Abrahamic covenant. And it's a promise of a land, a people, and a kingdom. The land being that strip of land to, the, to the, the east of the Mediterranean that we call Israel. The people being the Jewish nation. God has a plan. Yes, they rejected Christ um, 2,000 years ago. And according to Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, he's placed them on the shelf for a temporary uh, period of time where he's, we call it the church age. But one day, he's going to turn his attention Back to them. And then ultimately, we looked at this last week in, in, um, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The blessing, that, the blessing that was promised through the Abrahamic covenant was a spiritual blessing. And that spiritual blessing came through who? Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. So here in verses 17 through 18, we have uh, another uh, God reminding Abraham that through him, that the world will be changed. Remember, at this point, um, there, is no, there is no Israel. God is using Abraham, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring the nation of Israel into existence. So in case you missed some of those notes, uh, we, have, we have, a sli- have a slide for you um, before we look at the gospel in this passage. I just want to, the, the Lord will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. We saw the test, the trust, and the triumph. We saw the test is purposeful, is painful, and for the human mind, it can be perplexing until you see the gospel. And then once you see the gospel, it's no longer perplexing. You see the big picture. There's the trust, which we see trust is immediate. It goes all the way. It's worshipful and it's unshakable. And the triumph. The triumph is, is that trust and obedience is the triumph of testing that God's glory, that God's honor bringing to himself is the triumph of our trust and obedience. Because when you trust and you obey the Lord, you are bringing honor and glory to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So that's it. That's, that's, the, that's me preaching on the Lord will provide the test, the, test, the test, the trust, and the triumph. Now, I would be an unfaithful pastor if I didn't show you the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture in the passage that we just read. So I want to, we've zoomed in close. We've looked at these verse. I want to pull it back a little bit. And I want you to see the beautiful, glorious gospel, the picture of, of, of Christ Jesus in this passage. Look at verse two. In verse two, you see there's a reference, a reference to a geographical location. And that, in verse 2, it says that this took place in the, in, in the land of Moriah. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, this location of Abraham uh, offering his son Isaac is the uh, land that would be the future land of, Israel, of Jerusalem. This would be the future place of Jerusalem, including to where, to where the temple was built. So what took place? What, what took place in the passage that we just read will be the exact same location that 2,000 years later on this hill that Jesus Christ would be sacrificed on Mount Moriah. Jot off to the side, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. It says this is where, the, uh, where Jerusalem would be. Also in verse 2, notice it says, God says this, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Maybe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As the King James Version says, his only begotten son. And it's the same word, the same phrase here in Genesis 22, verse 2. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. The Lord Jesus Christ was God the Father's only begotten son whom he loved. This is a picture of the gospel. That's the purpose of Genesis chapter 22. That's the purpose of God telling Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah so he could give the Old Testament saints a beautiful picture of the Messiah that was to come. It gets better. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And the two of them walked together. It says the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after he was flogged, after he was brutally tortured, a cross was laid across his back and he took it up this same hill just as Isaac did. And at the end of verse 6, uh, there's this phrase talking about Abraham and Isaac. It says the two of them walked together. And I believe that the father walked with the son. He was there with the son of God. It was what we call the Via Della Rosa. As he went from his flogging up to the hill of Calvary. Another beautiful picture of the gospel in verse 6. Then look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, uh, Then they came to the place which God had told him. By the way, that phrase right there is repeated in the gospel of John. And then they came to the place of the skull. But here in Genesis, And they came to the place which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. It was on a hill called Calvary that the exact same thing took place with Jesus. It says in verse 9 of talking about Isaac, Genesis 22:9, it says, He bound his son Isaac. Jesus was bound to a cross as he was there on top of the hill of Calvary. He was bound and he was laid um, on that cross. Chapter 22, verse 9, it says, it was on the altar on top of the wood that Isaac was placed. And 2,000 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ there at the Mount of Calvary was laid on a wooden cross and nails were driven into his hand, nails were driven into his feet, and he was secured. He was fastened to a cross before it would be lifted up and dropped into a hole with a sickening thud as the Lord Jesus Christ would be sacrificed. This is the gospel, guys, in the book of Genesis. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. The ram, the animal, was caught in the thicket by his horns. So this ram is in the thicket, and it's interesting that he's caught in the thicket by his, in the horns of his head as he's there in the thicket. 2,000 years later, the lamb of God would be caught in another thicket. And that thicket was a crown of thorns. Do you see it? Do you see it really? Do you see the beautiful, glorious gospel in the book of Genesis? Man, them, them, them Old Testament saints and uh, the religious people, they, man, they studied the word. They studied all the ins and outs of the Hebrew words and the scriptures. Many of the religious leaders in the first century had the Old Testament memorized, but they didn't see these things. Why? Because their eyes hadn't been opened. Their eyes hadn't been opened by the Holy Spirit. But when their eye, your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit, 
you see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in every single book of the Bible. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then um, the end of verse 13, we, we read half of verse 13 where we saw the ram caught in the thicket of his horns and Jesus, the Lamb of God, was caught in another thicket, the crown of thorns. And then the, the very end of verse 13, seeing the gospel in this passage, it says, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. The burnt offering was for atonement. The ram in Genesis chapter 22 took Isaac's place. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, took your place, took my place as the burnt offering for the wrath of God to come down upon and to to, to the Lord Jesus Christ in his death at the cross, he was completely consumed. The sacrifice was a burnt offering for the forgiveness of our sin. And the same thing took place here. He, he took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering. The Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, he offered himself up for you and for me. What a beautiful, what a beautiful message What a beautiful picture of the gospel right here in the story of Abraham and Isaac. People get all, people that argue and they get stuck on this father being told to offer his son. You know, it's kind of like being at bat and swinging a miss. You're missing the point. You're missing the point of the passage. You have to read the passage of Scripture in its context, then in the context of the book, then in the context of the whole entire Bible, and it sees, you, you, you see the beautiful picture of the gospel. It helps you understand it. And then finally, verse 14, we'll close with this. It says, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, Verse 14 says, Abraham called, he doesn't call the event, he doesn't call the sacrifice, he says he called the name of that place. That's interesting. Abraham looked at the place where this event happened of his son, and he, he called the place, that, uh, this place, the Lord will provide, and the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Maybe Abraham knew, maybe he didn't, but prophetically, Abraham was saying in this verse that it is on this very location, on this very mount, Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide for all mankind's greatest need, salvation. Salvation. The cross where Jesus died and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. My friend, God Jehovah Jireh has provided everything you need for life and godliness and salvation and sanctification at Calvary, at the cross. You know, and sometimes that sinks in, sometimes that doesn't, but let it sink in this morning. Let it sink in this morning that everything that you need in this life God provided for you at the cross. You know, I can't promise you your electric bills are going to be paid. I can't promise you that you're going to be able to pay the mortgage or you're going to be able to get a certain type of car. But I can promise you, and I can assure you this, that God will provide everything you need for life and godliness because he did it at the cross. I can give you that assurance. I can give you that hope that he will take care of you. And I firmly, not, not to diminish his, his providence and his, him taking care of us, and those, all those things are very important, and I believe them, and I hold them with all my heart. I, I believe and I trust the Lord for everything in life. But I know this one thing, the most important thing, he's provided for me, and he's given it to me, and that is this new life from trusting in the cross and believing in him and loving him with all my heart. My friend, 
I close today with this. He is Jehovah Jireh. He was Jehovah Jireh uh, 4,000 years ago. He is Jehovah Jireh today. And he will provide. He has provided everything that we need for life and godliness at the cross. And again, he provides for our life. And I firmly believe that no matter how small the detail is, no matter how minute it might be, it could be your bills, it could be your home, it could be a situation you're facing, you can take that situation, you can take that bill, you can take that unforeseen circumstance, circumstance that's come into your life and maybe it's causing you great pain, and you can take it to the Lord. And you can take it to the Lord and you can trust him to work in your life in and through that situation and help you through it. Amen? Jehovah Jireh, he is the God who provides. Old Testament, New Testament, and throughout all of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you have truly provided for us. You have provided everything that we need for life and godliness at the cross. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. We can trust you for where we live. We can trust you in our finances. We can, we can trust you for our job, our employments. We can, we can trust you in every single area of our life. We can bring it to you. We can pray, present it to you, and then let our hearts rest because you are Jehovah Jireh. And Father, we thank you for the mountaintop. We thank you for the pinnacle and that pinnacle and that mountaintop is for what you provided for us at the cross. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for Genesis chapter 22. And let us believe you, trust you, and love you with all of our hearts. For you are truly Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and the God who provides. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.